Welcome to the Evidence to Impact podcast, the podcast that brings together academic researchers, government partners, and others outside of academia to talk about research insights and real-world policy solutions in Pennsylvania and beyond. I'm Michael Donovan, the Director of Policy and Outreach at Penn State's Administrative Data Accelerator. In this episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Selena Ortiz, Assistant Professor of Health Policy and Administration at Penn State, as well as Mr. Bryce Moretzky, Director of Strategic Planning and Policy from the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency. Thank you both uh, for joining me today. So to uh, start things out, I really want to kind of entertain the question that we uh, have tossed around in many, many areas. And for many people, it is, it is uh, decided solid science, but um, housing is health. What does this mean and what does it mean from, from your perspectives? Um, So I think I just want to start off by simply saying that housing is a critical social determinant of health. And it's been viewed this way for quite some time among health researchers, particularly um, population health researchers, and I would say also housing advocates. Um, And past research has shown, you know, the complex ways in which uh, housing is connected to health. I think first and foremost, uh, we tend to think about substandard housing quality, uh, having direct impacts on uh, risk of experiencing adverse physical and mental health conditions. What we think about, um, what comes to mind readily is lead poisoning, asthma, injury, stress. Um, Another way is unhealthy neighborhood characteristics, um, such as the lack of recreational areas or areas that have low walkability and certainly access to full service grocery stores. And all those things are associated with decreased opportunities for physical activity and ability to access healthy food. Um, We also think about poor social and community attributes, and that might include like low levels of neighborhood security and social cohesion, um, segregation, and of course, concentrated poverty. And of course, all those things um, bring with it uh, increased sort of physical and mental stressors as well. But, you know, I think that the topic in the area that I'm uh, more most interested in is this issue of housing affordability and its impact on health. And I think that is um, one of the biggest areas of research. Others have done a phenomenal job in raising this issue. And I'm interested in really sort of um, identifying how the public views housing affordability mm-hmm. as a social determinant of health. That's great. And, and Bryce, that's an excellent segue kind of into to your line of work and, and how the PHFA uh, supports um, Pennsylvanians every day. Do you want to talk about uh, your perspective, how housing is health and, and what the mission of the PHFA is? Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Selena. Um, yeah, so Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency is really sort of the statewide organization, quasi-governmental entity that addresses affordable housing community development needs across the Commonwealth. We have a, we do things like first-time home buyer, and we service and provide mortgages to um, home for home ownership opportunities. We finance about six to 8,000 units of affordable rental housing each year with the federal low-income housing tax credit. Um, And we provide other resources to address housing needs across the Commonwealth. And, And again, what we see is sort of affordability continues to be a struggle for thousands and thousands of families across the Commonwealth 
um, the mismatch in supply and demand of housing um, continues to grow. There's probably now about a mismatch of somewhere around 300 to 400,000 units um, needed um, for families to be able to afford them. Um, and so we are struggling to swim upstream against sort of the growing affordability gap across the Commonwealth for families. And we also see it sort of as a multi-generational issue. We know we have communities and neighborhoods where a family, um, a mom and child is in a poor neighborhood and the child continues to remain in that neighborhood. And we see a second generation and third generation of poverty um, continuing to go. So we we are continuing to look at sort of creative approaches to addressing housing needs, whether it's through rental assistance, um, increase, you know, other kinds of affordable housing, whether it's manufactured housing and other strategies to address housing needs across the state. Fascinating. And I, I really, um, the, the point on multi-generational issue is really fascinating as well as it, as it compounds the effects onto the younger generations moving forward, as, as well as um, housing being a kind of a bulwark for um, the source of wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about the, you know, I think of the housing affordability issue, you know, and, and sometimes we use the term crisis, but I, I sometimes think that that is the inappropriate term to use because we're, this is sort of a chronic condition in the United States. I mean, it's, it's reached, uh, peak levels, but it, it just continues to grow. So it's a crisis that has just continued on for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But it really is sort of a tale of two things. And that's, as um, was mentioned, um, it's this issue of availability of housing and the cost of housing. Uh, but then when you think about wage uh, wage growth mm-hmm. and how wages have uh, been stagnant, for quite some time, since the 1960s, um, you really then begin to see this this picture of uh, where you've got unavailable housing, unaffordable housing, and then stagnant wage growth. It really compounds. So this issue of wealth building is is an interesting one, and generational impacts on the, the inability to create wealth and transfer wealth um, are going to have are going to continue to have significant impacts on. Of the health throughout the life cycle. That's right. And yep. I'm wondering, um, Bryce, if you could just touch on, you know, in, in your work over, over the years and in, in, in other places, what, what are some unique characteristics or some, some traits about Pennsylvania in particular that are, that are um, causing or exacerbating some of these conditions? So one of the issues in Pennsylvania is sort of its bifurcation of two very urban places with, you know, obviously significant urban issues um, being Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Philadelphia being significantly larger than anywhere else um, in the Commonwealth. And then the really profound sort of left behind issues that exist in many of our rural communities, some of them looking, you know, along the Appalachian path um, in the southwest of the state, up into the coal region of the northeast, into the central part of the state, up in the northern tier part of the state. The rural urban sort of disparities, I think, 
are even are more pronounced in Pennsylvania than in so many other places. I think the other issue is Pennsylvania continues to sort of get older and has not been a state that's seen significant population growth. And so issues like health um, and the health of aging populations and how to tackle housing needs for an aging population continue to be significant. Um, How do we help people age in place or find appropriate places for them to age continue to be issues that we're focusing on from a housing perspective. And then in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, where you have significant gentrification going on, I mean, in some neighborhoods, and I mean, we were just looking at some data recently where Philadelphia has lost about 115,000 homeowners, owner-occupied residents that have flipped to become owner-occupied. And so the loss of that sort of core bedrock of neighborhoods um, in terms of homeowners um, in a city like Philadelphia um, is significant. Um, And so how do we look at um, addressing gentrification issues in places in neighborhoods that are rapidly changing is one that we are struggling with all the time. Americans are more likely to attribute health to very individual-based factors as opposed to, you know, what we're talking about today, you know, economic and social factors such as housing, employment, education, those sorts of things. Um, And so in 2010, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation launched a study to ascertain public beliefs about uh, variations in health and why these variations exist in certain subgroups. So they were really interested in, in finding out how Americans view that. And so going back to this issue, first and foremost, of social determinants of health, like we can say it again and again and amongst our colleagues and within the space and we get it, we know exactly what that means. But what RWJ found was that term in and of itself uh, elicited very negative public reactions. The good news, though, was that most respondents um, understood what was meant by that by that term and it was well received. And so, you know, this is a it could be a framing issue. Mm -hmm. Right. It could be how we talk about these things. Mm -hmm. So other recent studies are beginning to reveal that. Americans are increasingly understanding the impact, and I, I, it could be because they're personally experiencing mm-hmm. it for the first time, or their families, or their loved ones, or neighbors, they see neighbors leaving, things like that, right? So for me, I wanted to examine where other studies in the past only examined uh, the importance of housing quality on health and how Americans viewed that. Uh, To my knowledge, there had been no studies explicitly testing whether people believed that housing affordability is a key driver of health, even though we talk about it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So our initial task was to examine whether and in what specific ways Americans regarded housing affordability as a fundamental driver of health. And so we used data from a survey that was administered by the Frameworks Institute in Washington, D.C., who does amazing work examining uh, what are some of the best ways to talk about these social problems and these issues. And the Enterprise Community Partners, which is a a nonprofit organization that um, works with low and moderate income people to find affordable housing. And what we found was that the understandings of the relationship between housing affordability and health were primarily uh, politically driven and income-based driven as well, where you had Republicans and those who earned um, higher income 
less likely to acknowledge the effects of housing affordability on health. We also found that the varied frames of communication about the relationship between housing affordability and health produced significantly different reactions among these political and income subgroups. So even though overall respondents agreed that housing affordability is important to health, there were significant differences and less agreement among Republicans um, and, and higher income groups pertaining to the second half. Uh, we identified these eight emerging themes that were most referenced, and we found that the themes of personal responsibility and stability and security significantly resonated with Republicans and high-income earners, right? And it was also seen as when, it, when Republicans and high-income earners did agree that housing affordability was connected to health, it was more seen as a means uh, in which to exercise personal responsibility. So in other words, uh, assistance from the government to increase or improve housing affordability was accepted as long as it was understood to be a, a means to individuals being able to exercise personal responsibility. So how do we frame uh, this conversation to capture as many of Pennsylvanians as, as we can, uh, to lift up the message that that housing is health, uh, while in a salient way to as many Pennsylvanians. I'm wondering if there are any opportunities there or things that we could pull from this work. I actually think there are, and and I give, um, actually, um, this administration under Governor Wolf has really begun to reframe housing um, in a health-related sort of response. And so they have actually, um, the governor's office policy office has been putting together a high level policy group across agencies, Department of Human Services, um, mental health departments, community um, and economic development department, housing people to really think about how do we look at housing and address it sort of as a fundamental need as and a social determinant in terms of the better health for people and better health for the communities in which those people reside. And so I think you are seeing data now beginning to come out. The managed care organizations across Pennsylvania are beginning to think about housing um, as a, in a role that they have as a healthcare provider. Um, the University of UPMC um, Health Plan um, in the southwestern part of the state has really been um, investing actually in housing developments and rental assistance and homeless shelters because they see it as a way of helping to drive down health costs if they can find ways to um, put people into stable, secure, long-term housing rather than have them on the street or insecure in their housing situation, having to bounce from place to place, they don't see them as frequently in their emergency rooms. And so um, I think the message is beginning to sort of filter out um, across a broader range of, of organizations um, and institutions that are thinking about it. Um, up in Erie, yeah, the Erie Insurance Company um, is doing a great deal um, in that community in terms of looking at housing and other community development needs as a part of sort of a healthy community. Um, and so 
how do we expand some of those demonstration efforts um, and and roll them out sort of in a larger setting set of um, policy strategies, I think becomes important. Um, but having the healthcare institutions, whether it's the insurance providers, the healthcare providers themselves, really beginning to understand that housing is part of the diagnosis and part of the prescription that they need to be um, talking to their patients about um, sort of earlier on, I, I think begins to reframe that, that debate. In states that have a governor's mansion that might not be as open to mm-hmm. um, viewing this critical issue as, as a health issue, uh, I wonder what kind of strategies we could employ um, both from the, the academic side and from the, from the policy side to, to really kind of get the message to as many uh, minds as we can. You know, in 2015, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services launched this opportunity to, um, to charge or use Medicaid as a leverage, you know, to provide or pay for uh, supportive housing services. And the state of Pennsylvania has done uh, a really fantastic job in, you know, developing a crosswalk, identifying sort of the, the areas that need attention. Um, you know, one of those may be even how do, say, non-medical organizations, housing uh, organizations, um, those that provide social services, how do they learn how to bill uh, CMS for providing supportive housing services, for example? That's an issue that I think Pennsylvania um, is going to need to be dealing with. Um, so this, this helped me to develop a proposal, and I've got C funding right now, um, to examine the extent to which states in the United States um, actually leverage Medicaid uh, dollars to provide supportive housing services. And so this question is right on point in that uh, our preliminary findings certainly are that there are many states whom you know, haven't even begun to take advantage of Section 1115 waivers. Um, their, medic, their Medicaid plans uh, are, and their amendments um, don't include uh, coverage for supportive housing services. And so, you know, the, again, these are preliminary findings, but the next question is to ask, well, why is that? And so we've got a number of different questions that we want to explore. And then relatedly, it's, you know, how can we get this message out that this is an important opportunity and this is what residents are in need of? But it, it is interesting in, in Bryce's example of how private industry is seeing the benefits yeah. of some of the seeing this as really kind of almost preventative care right? Um, to reduce costs on, on the other end, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's while there are perceptions that may be affiliated with certain groups, it's it's interesting to think how how uh, private industry is stepping in. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I I would just just add that it's important that you've got so your traditional social service agencies and, and housing agencies understanding the opportunities within say CMS, but that there's not this well we're going to do this so you could save on the health end, but it really you know, how, mm-hmm. how we communicate mm-hmm. with each other um, is, is an important question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, another group that, you know, from a policy standpoint across states that may be less purple, 
might be the National Governors Association. Um, you know, they have been willing to sort of think about um, housing issues a little bit, and they might be sort of the kind of group. I mean, I think most of this work is really, I mean, we can talk about the Department of Housing and Urban Development and, you know, having a secretary who's, you know, a surgeon and uh, healthcare providers, the secretary might be a good thing. And HUD has begun to move sort of their homeless world into a, a sort of housing first strategy, um, which again, I think is part of an effort to, to think about housing as a determinant and as a primary determinant of health outcomes. But it's really governors and at the state level where I think the strongest innovation is going to go on. And I think the more that somebody like a group like the National Governors Association or some of the major foundations, Robert Wood Johnson, Annie Casey, some of the other national foundations that can convene um, and put resources behind thinking about um, this role of housing um, and the affordability of housing as a real health determinant, um, I think it would be an interesting idea. Absolutely. And I think, I think one, um, another sector that can really lend a remarkable amount of support here in establishing an evidence base is, is academia as well. Mm-hmm. So intersection uh, between, between the academy and, and, and policy audiences, I think, is really, really crucial. So work like, like Selena's can inform perspectives on what's actually penetrating, what is the state of, uh, of, of the American perspective, Yeah. right? Yeah, and, and so a follow-up paper to this one, um, which is in review, is, is examining a particular group of Americans, and, and that would be economic elites, right? And so we know through economic elite theory, um, particularly by Gillens and Page's work, showing that you know the policy agenda is really sort of developed by a very small segment of of the public. Now that's not to say that that's always the case and true, but it does speak to the importance of being able to communicate with that group. And so when we think about private businesses or developers or other high income groups who really set the agenda or work with um, policymakers or influence policymakers, you know, we can't sort of turn a sort of a, a blind ear to them or turn off our, our ear. We really sort of need to also understand how they think about this issue. And so the exciting thing is, is that we have found that when you frame or, and communicate a message of housing affordability as a key component of health, uh, there is positive reaction to it. And so for me, I'm quite excited by the, you know, this idea of housing as health. You know, maybe we just haven't gotten the nuanced phrases correct yet. You know, we're working our ways through that. But how we sort of beat that drum and make a, a very salient, you mentioned it being a salient issue, we need to make that message stick so that it comes first and foremost in people's minds and in a particular group of economic elites who, you know, it's one thing to pass policy, it's another thing for that policy to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that that is where the influence lies. And so sustainability of policies and the the effectiveness of policies throughout time, you know, is going to continue to mandate support. Continuing to make this message 
sort of figuring out ways to sort of spin that message about housing affordability as a key determinant of health. You know, it is it is a great message and how we embed it in more and more sort of work, I think really is sort of the next phase of of the implementation of these kinds of more academic sort of studies about how we can do this. You know, we as a housing finance agency, and there are 50 of us across the state, um, across the nation, all have an annual plan about funding for multifamily rental housing. And so we should all be building in the health component to into our plans for tax credits that developers who are really doing the deals um, and creating 300,000 to 500,000 units of affordable housing every year um, then really see it. And that's the incentive that they have. They get points and they get projects awarded. And the more that, you know, Pennsylvania and other states can show um, how to do it sort of through both carrots and sticks a little bit, I think does, um, does become a way to sort of move this message out. Completely agree with, with Bryce on, on that point, absolutely. And uh, it's made me think that, you know, as researchers, you know, here's an opportunity for simulation models, right? So in other words, how do we think about policies to increase housing affordability um, and then examine sort of the health impacts associated with those policies over the a course of time? And, you know, there's researchers who do work, Markov chain modeling, simulation models that could, could really help policymakers see the impact mm-hmm. of, of what it would mean in regard to the health of their community they serve if these policies are enacted. Mm-hmm. So researchers who are doing work in, in that area are really sort of called upon right now, I think, yeah. to help yeah. us think yeah. through that. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to see some of that work being done. Um, you know, sort of in partnership with healthcare providers, insurance companies, housing developers, state housing finance agencies, and others um, to really look at some of that modeling. That would be very interesting. I, I, I love the idea of the intersection of the academic community and the larger policy audience. I, I wonder, you know, what ways could we operationalize that? How, how do we foster that even further? I mean, you know, I find it quite exciting that the governor's office has convened this this group. You know, it's something that I and other colleagues would be interested in learning more about, sort of participating in. I've had the opportunity to participate in a in a in a governor's uh, group in regard to how do we communicate insurance enrollment and I found the that process quite enriching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think that us being here at the university, we're, we're ready and able and willing to, you know, I, I can't do this work if, if I thought it wasn't going to go anywhere, I don't yeah. think I could be doing it. Um, and so even pers- on a personal level, that is really what makes this work um, valuable, you know, so that it actually means something to, uh, to others. And I would speak the same for my colleagues as well. And there's actually a group that the Healthcare Association of Pennsylvania is convening later this month um, with a group of housing providers and health 
insurance groups about social determinants of called the social determinants of health collaborative. So, I mean, I think, you know, it is a message that's beginning, at least in Pennsylvania, to take on some traction. And I, I do give credit to somebody like UPMC who really actually has been getting this, you know, has been um, putting dollars behind it. They have actually put, made capital investments um, into a company doing affordable housing in Pittsburgh. But I think the policies are now, and maybe this group could be the place where we try and do some of that modeling to bring academia and policymakers and practitioners together to really expand that message. That's excellent. That, yeah. I, mean, I think uh, the key is that between Penn State and, and our academic partners across the country and world, there's, there's a vast network of ready and able uh, researchers who can kind of provide some of the, the rigor to these proposals and, and, and simulations. Absolutely. And I think some of, that, some of that relationship needs to be built with some of the large national housing advocacy groups. I know in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Housing Alliance, at the national level, the National Low Income Housing Coalition. So I think beginning to foster some of those kinds of bigger relationships between academia, um, doing some of that modeling, and some of these large national policy groups. Enterprise is obviously a huge one, Doing has been looking at this issue for a long time. I think those kinds of relationships also are critical. You know, and we have a National Council of State Housing Finance Agencies, you know, that has a national group. But some, I think, again, this message, the more we can sort of spread the word, right, and figure out different ways to um, look at this issue and embed this issue um, and infuse this discussion into policy and strategy um, and programs, I think the better off we'll be sort of in the long run. Excellent. Um, are there particular measures that would be supportive to your work that, that could be lifted up? That's a, that's a great question. I, I think that I think about the big national health surveys that exist that a lot of my colleagues and I rely on. I think they're becoming better at thinking about this issue of housing and asking questions around housing, but we're, we're not at that point yet, right? So how do we think about national health surveys really expanding their social determinants of, of health questionnaire or the, the, those sets of questions that could help us? Longitudinal designs, you know, are, are especially needed. We talk about the life course, right? Um, and so impact from uh, womb to, you know, um, the elders, uh, how, do we, how do we sort of measure um, these impacts? And so even when you think about simulations and modeling, you really do then have to go onto, into the neighborhoods and on, on the ground, right? And you have to do interviews and you have to do other qualitative uh, work that then helps inform what you find in surveys and vice versa. So I would definitely argue that mixed methods work is absolutely essential um, in regard to housing affordability and health. And Bryce, I don't know if there must be, um, you know, your own ways of measuring the success of, of PHFA and, and the impact that you're having. There is. I mean, we are moving more and more towards looking at outcomes and being better about collecting good data and not just sort of saying how many units of housing have we funded or produced 
this particular year, but what do those, where is that housing and what are some of the effects of that housing sort of at a larger level, at a neighborhood level, right? You know, how are the, the units helping to address school issues or property tax issues, park issues, and vice versa, right? How do some of those issues impact where we need housing? I think for us, the struggle is in, in a place like Pennsylvania is trying to get good data sort of at a local level, um, whether it's, I mean, we oftentimes can get information at sort of a county level, but getting it sort of at census track or zip code, um, or even at legislative district level, I, I think would be helpful when we're sort of looking um, at the kinds of programs and projects, um, which is ultimately what we fund that, that, we're, that we're trying to do. We, we struggle, we see statewide data um, and we can sometimes get county data um, and we often get data for Philadelphia and or Pittsburgh, but don't get it sort of in the more rural parts of Pennsylvania. And so, again, I think getting good data for us um, continues to be um, a struggle. And so, the, you know, the, the better, and we're starting to ask for more data and for different kinds of data from our programs and projects um, on an ongoing basis. We hope that over the next few years, we'll get better and better at that. But working with academic um, institutions, um, nonprofit think tanks and others um, in terms of that data analysis um, would be very helpful. Merging data sets is, is part of our challenge too, right? We get sometimes we get housing data, but it's in a completely separate sort of file than the health data and or the public library data. And so how do we make sure that we can really marry data together for us is the challenge. Right. And the, and the, the science of integrative data systems is really improving. So it's, it's crucial to think about, um, you know, the holistic perspective. Yeah, I also just wanted to add that, you know, thinking about affordable housing as a, as a health equity issue. And when I think about data and who we collect data about and from, I think about those most disenfranchised communities. And when you think about Pennsylvania, you think about um, certainly individuals who and their families who are suffering from opioid addiction, other substance abuse those with severe behavioral mental health or severe mental illness, uh, you know, those very hard to reach yet, um, you know, very crucial, absolutely. And, you know, so emphasizing their outcomes as well. We actually had an experience where, you know, we were trying to do some work around a program with homelessness. And in Philadelphia, we came to realize that the entire Hispanic community sort of doesn't use the traditional ways of accessing homeless services. And so they were, that whole community was sort of left out of the program. Um, and we're now having to sort of backtrack and go back and figure out how does the Hispanic community access, use, and mobilize around homeless services in the city of Philadelphia? Because the data was not capturing what was really happening at the community level. Um, and so it was very, you know, that was an eye-opening um, example for us that what we were seeing at the data level wasn't really what was happening at the street level. 
And I think what Bryce is talking about to me, um, hearing that is sort of the interaction effects of policies, right? So mm -hmm. having to think about policies or sentiments expressed at the national level, when you think about the uh, Hispanic community and sort of maybe perhaps fear of accessing uh, services and for, you know, for fear of perhaps uh, being investigated by immigration services or whatnot, you know, we have to think about how these policies interact sure. uh, with each other and, sure. and take that into consideration when we think, why didn't that policy work? Why didn't that outreach service work? Right. Yeah, and address missingness in data. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, I think we'll, we'll come to a close here. I just wanted to see if we could get any of your closing thoughts on some of these broader issues, how we leverage academia to support the policymaking process, to also leverage data uh, to further support the process overall. Bryce, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I think this discussion has been really terrific and helpful. And I think what um, my takeaway is this idea of modeling some ideas and really looking at sort of some of the ways that different approaches for embedding housing affordability and housing issues as a key determinant of health outcomes and using that message and really looking at how to embed that message in a variety of different approaches was what I took away as the most critical piece of this. And I concur as well. I, I think that I've become um, much more excited about sort of the state of things here, you know, in Pennsylvania. I, I think it's exciting to know the opportunities that exist. I think it's exciting to think about how um, academia can work in partnership uh, with the state to to examine these issues. I'm actually much more um, encouraged by even thinking that maybe not just including this message of housing affordability as intrinsic to health, but even being very explicit about policy outcomes and to say this policy is intended to improve health in these ways, you know, so that it's not just sort of a, a spillover effect. It's actually the, in, the direct intention of intended effect of that policy. And, you know, there, there's some policies out there that have done that, but why not, why can't we sort of lead the way in modeling that as well for the rest of the country? Great, well, with that, uh, we'll bring this episode to a close. Many thanks to my guests, uh, Dr. Selena Ortiz, the assistant professor here at uh, Penn State in Health Policy Administration, as well as Mr. Bryce Moretsky, Director of Strategic Planning and Policy from the, the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency coming to us from uh, Harrisburg. Thank you both so much. Really appreciate your time today. Again, I'm your host, Michael Donovan, the Director of Policy and Outreach at Penn State's Administrative Data Accelerator and the Associate Director at the Evidence Impact Collaborative. And this has been another episode of the Evidence to Impact podcast. Thanks for listening.